So we talked about how whenever there's faith, there's an element of faith that requires something to be unseen. Remember that? Okay. And so whenever you see it, in a way, it doesn't require faith anymore. Faith becomes sight. Okay. I saw Anna's hand up. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. So from faith, for faith, we're actually going to start in Romans 1 again because I was thinking about that. Um, some translations translated faith like, well, let's actually just read it. You're, are you in Romans 1? So everybody, if you got Romans 1, um, I want you to, be able to see this. We're going to read a couple of verses here. Always again, you know, the scripture is always more powerful the more you read it in context. We're going to go into the, the place because we have read through Romans and specifically Romans 1 uh, several times in the last couple of years. I'm not going to get into all of that, but just be aware of what's happening. What are some of the major themes in Romans 1? Just call them out quickly. What's that? Sin. And what does sin, what does sin reveal in us the need for? What do we, what do we need? We need grace and we need life. And in Romans 1.16, we recognize that there is the power of the gospel. It is the, the, the dunamos power of the gospel. It is not, there's, there's a word um, in, oh, where's that at? As many as received him to them, gave he the power to become the sons of God. That power is like the word power of attorney. It's like a legal right. This word is not that word. This word is the word that we get dynamite from. It's the root we get dynamite from. This is a power. So, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, let's read that. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. It's the dynamite power of God, the dynamic power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It is the displacing power of God to change your life from one thing to another. Paul says in other places that we have been transferred from the kingdom of, of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son, right? So this, this thing in Romans 1 is powerful because it talks about the ability for the good news about Jesus to transform us and change us, to displace our lives from one place to the other. I used to talk about this a lot when I'd go to talk to, and on college campuses. You know, if we had a piece of dynamite and we put it under Christine's seat and that dynamite went off and nothing happened, what would you say about that dynamite? It was a dud. It was a misfire. So it is, whenever I hear people say, I tried Jesus and it didn't work, I tell them, quite honestly, you must have had a bad encounter with, with that wasn't the real dynamite. Because the power of the gospel is the, the power of changing. If it was really the gospel, it would change you. Is that something you need once or is that something you need all day, every day? I need all day, every day, right? You know, just got to have that ongoing encounter with the gospel. Is that true in your life? Like, I just can't have a good Sunday and that be enough to carry me through everything that needs to happen. I, I need to have that big yes in my heart for him, right? How many of you made the big yes in your heart for Jesus? You said yes to him, right? But how many of you know that that is lived out by thousands of little yeses every week? That that big yes has to be exercised, right? What else do we have in Romans 1? What else is in Romans 1? Here's a hint. We talked about it in True North. All that sexuality stuff at the bottom. It's not really about sexuality, though. It's really about there's something that takes place when we live in a culture where we worship the creature more than the creator. And so we talked about how it's easy to read those scriptures and feel like God could like just come and like indiscriminately make some people do one thing and some people do another way. 
But that's not what it says at all. It says that we are, and, and when in culture, whenever we elevate the creature to be more important than the creator, that God removes his protection, he allows us to know the emptiness of our ways. Again, old language, old King James language was he turns us over to a reprobate mind. Does anybody know what that word reprobate means? It's got its root in the fact that it's unredeemed. It's, it's not redeemed. So does that make sense? Like, so God allows us to have what we ask for when we worship ourselves more than we worship him. Does that make sense? So in the middle of Romans 1.16, and then this passage goes on to talk about how God turns us over to an unreprobate mind, and we begin to function in ways we were never created to function, is verse, chapter one, verse 17. So let's read that again. And it's got this phrase in it, and I want us to talk about it this morning for a few minutes. So I'll read verse 16 again. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. In what? In the gospel of Jesus, in the good news about Jesus. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Does anyone remember what the Greek word for faith was? Pistis. And does anybody remember what that word meant? What was it? Trust, a level of conviction. This word really has a level of con conviction. And when we talk about the word conviction, what do we talk about that, that being connected to? Where is the word, in English word conviction used most frequently? In a court of law. So faith is a level of conviction, a level of trusting and believing in something that can really stand, like it can, the conviction can stand. It's not like something that maybe today we think he's guilty, maybe tomorrow we don't think, he, wouldn't that be a miserable way to live? Like you, you go through a court case and the judge says at the end, well, you're probably mostly guilty, so we'll put you in jail, but like, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll change your mind next week. That would be, if there was no ability to have an absolute judgment, we would always live our lives looking over our shoulders. How many of you have done something that you're guilty of? But this level of faith is a different kind of conviction. This level of, con of faith means absolutely convinced or persuaded. The word, uh, if you go and look it up, the word persuaded gets used a lot. Fully convinced, fully persuaded, fully convicted. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In most translations, if you look up the word faith, there's only two Old Testament verses that have the word faith. There's a lot that have, evidently, the Hebrew is different with the word faith and faithful. There's a lot that talks about the faithfulness or being faithful, the faithfulness of God or being faithful, but there's only two times that the word faith is, as a root is just used. One of them is this phrase right here, the just shall live by faith. What does that mean? Take, take what we talked about last week and think, what does it mean for the just to live by faith? Who are the just? 
okay? The New Testament, how are we made just? By Jesus. In the Old Testament, how are they made just? What did it say? By Jesus, but it was, a, it was a different kind of faith. It was, it was a way of, there was a practicing of faith while they waited for something they had not seen yet. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? Okay, because that's really important. There was a practicing of faith by sacrifice. Did the sacrifice actually make sense? This is actually a big deal. I don't know if you know, this is a big argument and controversy in the body of Christ right now. This whole idea of the substitutionary atonement. There's all kinds of weird words for it. People are writing books. You know, how cruel of a God would it be to abuse his son? Like, it's just really weird because they missed the meaning of what was happening whenever they would take place in sacrifices. But the book of Hebrews explains all of that for us. So if you, if you have any questions about God's character and nature in the terms of sacrifice, go read Hebrews 9, 10, 11, 12. The whole book is good. The theme of Hebrews, by the way, is, is a, I used to have a teacher who called it the better book. It's Jesus is better than the old covenant. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. Jesus is better than the angels. But Jesus said this, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And how did he fulfill it? He fulfilled it by becoming a sacrifice because those who were in the old covenant, they were redeemed the same way that you and I are by faith in Messiah, by faith that God was gonna do what he said he was gonna do. But they had to practice faith in something that hadn't happened yet. Doesn't that seem really different from the way that we look at salvation today? But can I invite you to look beyond salvation and say, what if God is trying to show us that there's a way of practicing faith for things we haven't seen that is not just waiting for them to happen? Can anybody join me and say that sometimes faith for things in the future just feels like I'm just waiting for something to take place that I have no idea what's going to happen? Does that, can you raise your hand for that? Because I want to, yeah. But look, that's not what faith looked like in the Old Testament, was it? There was actually something that we practiced while we waited on what we were having faith for. Holy Spirit, help us. Make this alive this morning. I think this is really important for us. I think this is a word for us right now that we need to get a hold of. Like we need to get a hold of it and it needs to get a hold of us. We read Hebrews 11 last week. Were you going to ask a question, by the way? Because I just you're not going to be around much longer. And if you have a question, we're certainly going to make time for it. Dan Wilson's question has changed people's lives. Okay. That's probably gone. So, yeah. Yeah. Are we recording this? Okay, cool. We can figure out what it was we were going to repeat. We then went to Hebrews 11 last week and we talked about now faith is now in the new covenant. Remember, this is actually really significant for what we just said because in Hebrews 9 and 10, it's comparing the old covenant and the new covenant. How many of you are familiar with that scriptures in Hebrews 9 and 10? It's talking about the blood of bulls and goats really had no ability to actually change everything. But year after year, the priest had to go in. Why were they going in? What were they doing? They were practicing faith. They were exercising faith. Can you, 
When I think of the word practice, because I love sports so much, I think about like, I had basketball practice usually a month or two months before we started playing the games. And then even when the season started, we had practice every day we weren't playing a game. So practice was something that we did that wasn't really the real thing. But for a doctor who practices law, it's not like he practices, or for a doctor who practices medicine. There are some doctors who practice law, but um, for a doctor who practices medicine, that word practice means something different, right? He's not like at the office practicing on dummies and then like playing the game whenever he goes to the hospital. He is practicing because it's a daily practical operation of what he has learned. Does that make sense? So when we're talking about practicing faith, we're not talking about a pretend version of it. We're talking about the actual operation of faith in action. Does that make sense? So now faith is what? There's two things we said now faith is. Now faith is, well, actually, we didn't say them. Writer of Hebrews said it. Now faith is substance. Now faith is substance. So my question for you this week, and I actually want you to take some note about this because I want you to make this personal. I want to make this collective. And for, actually, I'm going to take one step back because context for those of you who weren't here last week, we asked a few questions at the beginning. We talked about what is it that we are cultural, have some cultural strengths in. And we listed some places where we've become more mature together in these cultural strengths. And what we said is it can be very easy to just focus on the things in your life that you're already good at. And then you never need faith for it anymore. Does that make sense? So my question for us this morning is this. If faith is a substance, what are we using that substance for? If, if faith is a substance, how are we stewarding that substance? What are we building on that substance? How are we using that currency? How are we using that substance to live in a way that is like transformative in our own lives and the lives of people around us? Does that make sense? Do you have any answers immediately? Like, what are you believing for that you can say there is a substance to your faith of something you're believing to see happen? I say, and I, I really do believe this, that I want to see pornography wiped off the face of the earth. But here's what my conviction is. What am I doing to practice faith? Because I'm just waiting for that to happen. It'll never happen. It has nothing to do whether it's God's will or not. But if there's something that I'm having faith for, then there has to be some place of me practicing that faith in order for me to have an expectation to see it take place. Does that make sense? What do you have faith for? What is it that there's a substance for? And how many of you can recognize, I, had, I used to have faith for something, but then I got kind of disappointed. I got exhausted. Anybody else like that? You would say maybe I used to have something that was a little bit more clear. Now guys, sometimes we might have something in front of us that was clear and maybe that was, wasn't God. I mean, I used to have faith for some things. I'm really glad I didn't come true. I have a confession to make. In my, in my early teenage years, there was about seven months where I listened to country music. And in that time, it was just as a young man named Garth Brooks was coming onto the scene. 
thunder rolls, lightning strikes. Man, that must have been the best season of country music because if I walk into a place that's playing country music, they still play all those songs from like 1992. I don't, I, I don't understand, but like that was the, you know, it must have been one of the golden eras or whatever. And so anyway, there was this song Garth Brooks had called Unanswered Prayers. Sometimes I thank God. Yeah, unanswered prayers. I, how many of you have prayers that you're glad God didn't answer? Like for instance, the first time you thought you knew who your spouse was, how many of you are really glad God didn't answer that, right? Like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I was so unqualified to know what I needed. Does that make sense? Can I get a witness on that? So in some things that you used to have faith for, maybe it was as you matured, you realized that wasn't the substance that you wanted to build your life on. But if I can be completely honest with you, there's things I used to have faith for that over the last few weeks as God has been convicting my heart, like I realized that I had faith for it until that was tested and disappointed. And then I didn't know if I wanted to keep having faith for it anymore. What Cody said was really good. Three months ago, how many of you agreed with Cody? Three months ago, things looked really different than they do right now. And how many of you, that three months ago version looked easier than it does right now? But listen, let me say this. I, I can't think of one meaningful thing that I believe that God has given me to steward in my life that came in those easy seasons. I can't think of anything that I have of value to share with anyone that there wasn't some level of testing and adversity. We read last week in Acts chapter 14, I think it was, where Paul shows up to encourage the believer and, he's, and he is there to encourage them in their faith. And he says, you must need go through adversity to enter into the kingdom. And I used to have this mindset that we need to be growing our faith so when we get to adversity, we have something we can live on. But what I'm saying, that is true. But what it is also true is faith actually grows in the midst of the testing. It grows in the midst of the adversity. Peter says it is precious and to count it joy whenever you are going through these things because it is producing something in you. And so we don't want to wait until we get into the fire to start building our faith. But you also can't afford to wait to get through the hard season before you start actively practicing faith for what you're believing for. So if faith is a substance, what are we using that substance for? What was the second thing? Now faith is what? Substance and evidence. If faith is evidence, what case are we building what conviction is growing? I'm going to ask you to write that down. I'm going to ask you to pray about that. I'm going to ask you to feed back on that. What is it we're contending for? There are things that 10 years ago that we were contending for as a family and as, a, as some friends, and I see some of the fruit of that thing. I see the beginnings of fruitfulness in those things, but I don't want to stop moving in faith. We can't stop. We can't afford to stop moving in faith. Does that make sense? You feel me? Come on. Now this is important, guys. Because in Romans 1.17, when it says we, this thing happens from faith to faith, there's two different kind of thoughts here as I've, I've been studying. One is that faith is the starting line and the finishing line. 
and everything that happens from faith to faith, it's like, it's like on an Olympic oval. It's like the whole thing, the starting line is the finish line. And like the whole thing is lived in faith. This is how the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Faith is anchored in what? It's anchored in the unseen. We've said before, we don't want to walk by sight and call it faith. But can you, like this morning, like I have no desire to preach a good message. This morning, I'm asking you, can you identify with me and say there are places in our life where we allow what we see to tell us what to have faith for? Where we allow the results and the outcomes to be the thing that determines whether or not we will put our faith to something. And all I'm saying is, guys, there's, there's a place that was maybe the starting line, but we are now a little bit further on the journey and faith is also the finish line. And we cannot afford to live by sight and call it faith. Because without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Are you with me? Hang, hang, because we're going, we're going to go someplace specific this morning. Does that make sense? If you have a journal, if you have something you can write down, I would encourage you to take a minute right now and just jot down what are areas in my heart where I recognize I want to have faith, but I really allow my faith to be determined by my sight. Derek said something to me the other day. He told me about a conversation that he and Laura were having. And Laura was basically using last week's message against him or for him, I, I meant. She was using it for him. And Derek was just talking about how like there's certain kind of days that are hard for him. And he's just like, I just don't see. I just can't see. And Laura's like, well, that's what we need faith for is the times that we can't see. What are the areas in our heart where we struggle to walk in courage? How many of you want to walk in courage? How many of you believe that when, whenever I say that like, yeah, whatever God says, that the kingdom of God is increasing. How many of you want to believe that that's true? How many walk with fuel and courage, but recognize there are places in our lives and whether those are the super intimate places in your own personal life that you don't want anybody else to know about or things together that we can contend and believe God for. How many of you know, like we can't afford to live in a place where we will not walk in courage if we only walk by sight. Does that make sense? We will not be able to walk in courage if we only walk by sight. There will have to be the ability to have a faith that is growing and that faith is anchored according to scripture and what cannot be seen. Jamie's here, Doug's here, Adrian's here. And 10 years ago, we were contending for our friend Lee to be healed of cancer. And we fought and we prayed. 2007, we watched him lose a leg. This young man whose God hand would come on and he would see people be healed. He would see broken bones be healed. He would be, see cancer be healed. It didn't make sense how God would pour out his healing through Lee, and all we needed was the cancer to be gone. And I experienced so much of God's love and his presence when Lee passed away. 
I think I could always say that God was good, but to know the, the pain and the trauma that we walk through and some people are still walking through, to know the number of people who love Jesus who are no longer identifying themselves as followers of Jesus. On the way here this morning, I passed a friend who's made many choices since that time, but her life has been ravaged. And in part, at least, to do with this place, well, how do we believe God again? Some of you have walked through things with people much closer than Lee was to me. You've lost fathers. You've lost friends. In some ways, I can tell you, I'm not here to go after healing. Healing is not my God. But if I ever come to a place where I'm okay with not touching that part of the life of Jesus because I need to protect myself from another place of disappointment, I'm not only... uh, I'm not only living in a place that people around me will not have access to that part of the gospel, but I am removing myself from that part of Jesus. Does that make sense? And I can just confess to you that while I still believe that he's good, there has definitely been, hey, let's just turn the burner down on that one. I don't want to go after that as much because it hurt too bad to be disappointed. Does that make sense? Some of you have things that have nothing to do with healing, You have areas in your life, you have areas in your family, you had areas in your childhood, places of just trauma and abuse, places of of hurt and, and woundedness to our heart. And I'm saying it's the scheme of the enemy to tell us that God is fully good and fully powerful and then to work in our lives to decrease that message over time until he is a shadow of his former self. And the God we read about in the Bible is not the God that we can rely on and trust. Does that make sense? Can you identify with that? And so I think, are we okay? Yeah? I think whether it's something that feels super traumatic and hard or something that just feels like a nuisance, you know, like a fly buzzing around and you're just kind of like wanting to be rid of it. Because sometimes... The enemy will work through deep trauma and sometimes he will just work through places of frustration to try to move us from a place that instead of living by faith, and this sounds weird to even say, but guys, I realize so many areas in my life, I'm really trying to produce a maturity that wouldn't require much faith. Does that make sense? Like, I just feel like, man, if we can get this right, then everything will kind of be good and we won't need as much faith. I didn't write all these scriptures down, but I was just praying them this morning. Reminding, reminding myself that they're true. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you have the ability to think up. Is that what it says? What does it say? Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. And he is able to do exceedingly abundantly up to 80% of what you ask for. How many of you would be excited if you got 80% of what you asked for? Can you see how we've lowered the standard? 
in the midst of disappointment or frustration, in the midst of allowing our sight to determine our faith. Do you hear me? Like we can be in a place where instead of allowing God to heal our hearts and, and us to move with courage and faith, we're basically waiting to see how would, how many have ever done this? Just like, how many is like, hey, I want to see how this turns out before I decide whether I'm going to support it or not. Is that faith? That's the opposite of faith. Does that make sense? I'm not so sure I want to attach myself what's in Katie's heart. Let's see, let's let her, let's let her try it a little bit and then we'll see if we get on board. I mean, I love Katie, but I'm not so sure some of these things she's talking about right now. Is that faith? Is that faith? Does your faith have power? All right, let's, let's try that again. A little, bit, a little bit more together, okay? I mean, with conviction, because that's what faith is. Cody, does your faith have power? If we wait till we see how it turns out before we put our power in, is that faith? So do you see how that actually disempowers our faith? Here's, here's a beautiful scripture from, from the, the Peter, one of the friends that hung out with Jesus, talked about. That you have been made partakers in his divine nature. What does the word partaker mean? If you couldn't use that word partaker, what's another word you could use? User? Sharer? Participant, I like that one. User's still good, Dan. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. We are participants. What does the word divine mean? Godly. Does it mean godly? Like, oh, she's a godly woman. Does it mean that kind of godly? Okay. Of, of God, it's got kind of this word. I think it's a little bit hard for us to just like come up with a, a cheap one because it's like really speaks of something that can only be him, Right? I mean, you can meet a godly old woman or a nice old woman and it almost interchange those words. But how many know God's a lot more than just nice? By the way, God's not looking for nice people. God's not looking, God, God doesn't want his church to be known as people with good manners. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't have good manners, but that's just not, that's not what he's after. He wants us to be dangerous to darkness. That's why he called us light. Okay. What does the word nature mean? It's called you to be partakers of his divine nature. To participate. What's the word there? Character, who he is, what's natural. God's called you to participate in what's natural to only him. And everything you need for life and godliness is found how? We need to read this book. It's found in knowing him. Everything that we need for life and godliness is not found in our good behavior. It's not found in creating a life that is stable where I never need faith. I looked up a new word this week. What was the Greek word for, for faith? Pistis. Now we're going to call it pistos. Anybody want to gander what a pistos is? 
kind of faithful. Watch this. Turn to Matthew chapter, or actually, let's turn to, let's turn over to Luke 19. But watch this. The word faith and faithful is actually the same word. One's just a noun, one's the adjective. What is faith rooted in? The unseen. How many of you have ever felt like there's a chasm between where you are and the thing that you're trying to have faith for? Yeah? What are some things? Let's just hear it. What are some things that we have faith for? Your family, Justin? You see how important it is not allow your faith for Justin to be established by what you're seeing? Because if you're trying to have faith for justice based on Justin based on what you're seeing, hey, I actually just had a little slip there. I just said faith for justice. How many of you know that if you have faith for justice, then you can't build your faith for justice on what you're seeing? Because if all the church can do is react to injustice, then we're walking by sight and not by faith. But if we can look to see how God defines justice and say, God, let heaven come. How do we see heaven invade earth? How do we see the throne room desires? Right, Doug? Like if we look at just South, South Africa, if we only get caught up in how like we can like fix something that's wrong and all we, can, all we have to work with was what's present on the earth, then we're never gonna come up with a real solution. But if we allow God's version of justice, to allow heaven's view of justice to be the thing that we have our eyes fixed on. So how many of you know what the earth realm needs is not something we've already attained, but it's something we actually haven't seen yet. So how can we practice? How can we be a living sacrifice and practice faith for what we haven't seen yet? Well, Seth, you got things in your heart that you haven't seen yet. And I don't even know if it's easy to talk about because it could seem so far away. But here is a key I want us to look at. If you can hang with me, we're going to read the scripture. We're going to like just point at it and we're going to pray. Because there's a chasm oftentimes between what is unseen and stewarding the now. And faith is built in what is unseen, but faithfulness is expressed by stewarding where you are today. Faith is rooted in the unseen, but faithfulness is expressed by stewarding now. And they're not disconnected. See, I, I was kind of interesting to go back and look at that word, faithful. Because to me, it can be very, very different. Like, I feel like, I feel like I can be faithful without faith. But that's like trying to be joyful without joy. But how many of you can connect? Do you feel like you could be faithful without faith? Just like doing the same thing over and over again seems like faithfulness. But if it doesn't have faith, then that's not faithful. You can be consistent without being faithful. <laughs> but you can't have pistos without pistis. You can't have, you can't live by conviction unless you have conviction. You can't live persuaded unless you have already been persuaded. Does that make sense? So we can, we can live in repetition. <coughs> we can live. <clears throat> Listen, I don't need Jesus to make good habits. 
There's a lot of people who <clears throat> deny Jesus who live very, with some very good habits. But good habits are not faith. Faithfulness can be expressed by developing the right things, the right habits. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying those are not the same thing. Does that make sense? Okay, in Luke 19, we're going to read the, we're going to read the parable, the story of the minas. Say mina. How many of you are more familiar with the Matthew version where we call it the parable of the talents? Right? How many talents is better? Mina? Look in verse 11. Okay, look real quick. What happened right before verse 11? <laughs> Thank you. She's got some damn Wilson in her right there. <laughs> She's going to ask questions that change the world. That's Matthew, right? Zacchaeus. So remember the message of Zacchaeus. Remember this place of Jesus taking the good news into this guy's house. He invades, he invites himself for dinner. He invades, he invades his house. And there are people who are, are kind of like looking around to, to check out why Jesus is hanging out with this dude. And Jesus makes a statement in verse nine. He says, Jesus told him, today salvation has come to this house because he's also a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was. Why did the son of man, why did Jesus say here that he came? It's not the only thing that's said like this, so it's not the definitive answer. But here he said, I came to do what? So if we only get comfortable with what is found, we'll never join Jesus in his mission to seek and save what's lost. If you are only comfortable living in a found by sight place, we'll never have the power, we'll never walk in that dynamite power of God to see transformation come and the purpose of God that to seek and save that which was lost, fulfilled. Does that make sense? Verse 11, now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. What are they looking for? They're looking for something to come out of the sky. They're looking for this idea of a kingdom that was only understood by their understanding. They, they could only see it from that perspective that they currently had. And you know what? There's something about perspective. You have to be faithful where you are. If you have an understanding, if you have a measure of faith today, then what are you instructed to do with that measure of faith? Steward it. From faith to faith. From your starting line faith. How many of you know the starting line faith? Hopefully, by the time we're done finishing the race, our faith will have grown. But somehow, it's so common for believers to have more faith at the beginning than they do once they get more mature. And that has to be reversed. We should be becoming more and more childlike all the time. That's why I love hanging out with Loretta. She is one of the most childlike people I know, and I get convicted just when she says hello. There is a purity and a childlikeness to her faith that is like, it moves me. She's not here today, so I feel better talking about her. How many of you remember whenever she was doing the dinner last year at our house? I mean, I got concerned for her for a little while because it's like she had so many details of what this thing was going to be and do. And like, I was starting to get concerned that it was stressing her out. 
And I got really excited about the idea of inviting people to her home and worshiping in her home and having something for ladies and then sharing a meal with all the, all everybody. But then I was like that week, I mean, she's like meeting with people. It's like, you know, committees are forming. Like, it's like, I'm like, this is intense. And I'm thinking like, is this, but man, I got there and man, she had just done that as like this childlike worship for Jesus. And you know what? Jesus liked it and he showed up. Right? How many of you were there? Did Jesus show up? Her attention to all those details wasn't about her being stressed. Her attention to those details was a gift to Jesus. You add in an element of childlike faith to that. I'm like, Jesus, I want to be like that. Verse 12. I'm going to read at least two without stopping. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants and delivered them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded those servants to whom he had given money and he called to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in the very little. Have authority over ten cities. After the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an astir man and you collect where you do not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an astir man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping where I did not sow. So why then did you put your money in the bank that at my coming, I might collect it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to those who have 10. But they said to him, Master, he has 10. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from whom who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Selah. Couple things once you remember Jesus is not into nonprofits. Jesus is looking for increase from our lives. Jesus is not after you just taking what you have and somehow holding on to it. Now, listen to me. I recently had a conversation with a, a girl who grew up in youth group. And she thought the ultimate way, the, like the, the very number one thing she could do with her life is to stay sexually pure until she got married. And she did. And she's glad that she did. But that became, that saving became the fullness of her walk. So then what does she do after she's married? Does that make sense? So we can take a good thing and make it into an idol and go in, and we can actually like begin to walk 
like where savings account is the best way we can be walking out our, our faith. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to maintain. I'm just trying to, 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 to salvage what I have, to save what I have. This is a big, bad world. If we can just raise our kids to where they don't hate God, your kids will probably end up hating God if that's the gospel they hear. Because that's not the gospel Jesus preached. Jesus didn't come to hide something in a handkerchief. He came to seek and save that what was lost. If we hide our families in a handkerchief, we're not hiding them in the real gospel of Jesus. So we're putting dynamite under their seat that can't move them anywhere. Do you hear what I'm saying? Are we sure? The definition of faithful, of, 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 it actually means trusty. The best definition of the word faithful is the word trusty. Of persons who show themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, and the discharge of official duties. Here's the principle we're going to learn, and then we're going to pray. You ready to pray? In the parable of the minus, the reason I chose that over the talents is because sometimes we think, all right, Dan, I'm giving you three keys. I don't know, actually, I know I'm in there. Okay, Jesus goes away, comes back. Dan's turned the three keys into six keys. What's Jesus going to give him? More keys. In this picture in, in Luke, we see a little bit different thing. He gave him some money. He was faithful with that. So what did Jesus give him in return? What did the ruler give him in return? Cities. All right, let's go back. There's a chasm between, there's a gap between what you need faith for and what you're stewarding today. Does that make sense? How many of you can like position yourself there? But how in the kingdom, how do you grow an authority for the thing that's on the other side of that gap? Faithfulness. The way you grow an authority to rule over cities is by being faithful with the little minas with the coins that you've got in your hand. And it is often easy to get caught on one side of that chasm. I know people who have a really hard time living where they are today because they're so distracted by what's out there a year or two. They're, they're, they're distracted by this thing that we call destiny. And sometimes they can be weighted down by that thing that's out there. And it almost feel like the thing that's out there is an obstacle for them being relevant right now. Can you relate to that? But on the other hand, there are people who are so trying to be faithful right now, they forgot what they're having faith for. They're just trying to be present where they are, but we've removed faith from it. So we're just full without faith. And how many of you know that there is definitely enough happening that will keep your life full, that will keep you from faith if you get caught up in what's happening just in your life right now? Does that make sense? So which do we have? Do we try to have faith for what we can't see or be faithful to what we do? This is where I'm gonna point us back to Hebrews. There is a better covenant, but that doesn't change the ways of God. And a way that we can exercise faith for what we haven't seen is by being faithful to practice faith where we are.
I'm not coming against faithfulness. I'm not coming against faith. I'm just saying there's a bridge in between those two things. And anytime we choose to live only on one side of that chasm, we end up ineffective. How many of you can recognize that strategy of the enemy just get your life so full you don't have time to have faith for anything? See, what, what we're living out today has to be connected to something that's in front of us or else life just becomes really busy. And let's, let's stand up. Can I have somebody come play something? Not Yahtzee. Well, Abby's here. Now she likes, you know, 10. All right, let's, can we, let's take a minute. go back. What is it that you were having faith for? This is definitely something I feel like the Lord is leading us to go deeper in. I don't feel like this is a really refined word, obviously. It's a word in process. The cake is in the oven. But I don't want you to wait until you see how the cake turns out before you put your ingredient in. Yeah, this is a word in process. The cake is in the oven. I don't want you to wait to see how the cake turns out before you decide whether to put your ingredient in. What you have faith for, what God has deposited in your heart is actually an important part of the forming of his family. That is not an AOX thing. If tomorrow they came to us and said, hey, you can't do church anymore, it wouldn't stop our ability to be the body of Christ and be a part of the body of Christ. I don't know where Dan and Maddie are going to be in six months, but what's inside of them, the substance that's inside of them matters to you. And what's inside of you matters to them. And what, who knows if what you carry will end up being something that they communicate to someone 2,000 miles from here. Doug and Jamie are getting ready to get married. There's going to be a wedding. And I don't know what next year holds for them, but I'll tell you this. Don't wait until you see what ends up happening before what you decide to put your ingredient in. I think there's a place, I would just say this. For me, there's been a place of repentance where I've had to say there's been some things that have been frustrating and I've just like stopped having faith because it was easier not to be frustrated than to have faith and to contend. There's places I've been disappointed. There's places I've been hurt. And the invitation to just try to be faithful where I am was actually camouflaged for me to, to be an invitation for me to stop having faith for what I couldn't see. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm just throwing that out there. If it does make sense to you, if you can identify a place of disappointment or frustration, if you can identify times where you thought you were following Jesus and something bad happened, you said, I'm never gonna do that again. You may wanna break agreement with that declaration. This happens in community all the time. Some of you are more mature in certain areas than the rest of us. And sometimes it's like hanging out with a bunch of pesky little siblings and you're like, I'm over that. And so what you do is you remove your maturity from what 
where the need is at. You remove what you have faith for because you don't like the environment instead of being the one who's helped creating the environment. Does that make sense? Yeah? So I, all kinds of mixed metaphors today. Don't wait for the finished product before you put your ingredient in. Because there's probably something about your ingredient that's going to like be a part of the finished product that we need to be the finished product that you want. So if you've got blueberries, don't wait to see if there's enough blueberries in the blueberry muffins before if you decide if this is the blueberry muffin that you want. Put your blueberry muffin, put your blueberries in the muffins. Can you put your hands on your heart? Let's pray. And again, putting your hands on your heart, it's just not, I'm just asking you like as a place of faith, like as, as an exercise of faith. And so God, we ask you right now, help us to recognize the connection between faith and faithfulness. Help us to recognize, God, any place where we even, yeah, God, I just recognize there are places in Brad McCoy's life that without ever saying it, God, that I've been gr trying to grow to a place of maturity where everything would be stable and nice and I wouldn't really need that much from you. God, in the same way that I've been trying to outgrow grace, I've been trying to not need faith. But you tell me that there's a grace that I can stand and I grow from grace to grace and then I move from faith to faith. And so God, like I wasn't doing it on purpose, but I just ask you to come and change the way I think. God, that I would not protect myself. God, that I would not try to protect my family. I would not try to protect people that I love or I'm discipling from situations that would require faith. God, I pray that we would have courage to be fueled by faith. So we can sing, Jesus, lead me to where my trust is without borders. And still trying to stay in the center of the safe place. I'm not asking you to live recklessly. But I am saying that if we fix our eyes on Jesus, and if he's the same today, he was yesterday and if it'll be the same tomorrow that he was today that's what he said yesterday today and forever what is it in our lives that's lost that he's seeking who are the people that live in the shadow of our houses that do not know him So can you pray just to ask God for courage? Yeah, God, I want this to be something that we can pray as individuals and at the same time, God, there be a collective acknowledgement, God, that you're doing something, you're speaking something to us. Yeah, so God, would you just speak to us by your spirit? What are the... What are the places in my life that have been lost?
that you're seeking after? What are the places of disappointment that you're looking to heal? What are the declarations that I've made about what I will do or not do based on how things have not worked? God, I don't want to walk by sight and call it faith. God, collectively, who are the people that you have purposed for us to reach? Yeah. I'm going to say this and then like, yeah, we don't do this often, but we're going to do it this morning. I'm really convicted in these last few months about just a desire to see us grow with passion for the lost. If you want to grow with passion for the lost, I want you to come and stand in the middle, and we're just going to pray. And I don't mean that like in a collective, everybody come and let's not really do anything. I mean like, they who sow in, sow in tears will doubtless again come rejoicing, bringing in precious sheaves. And if like, you feel like I want to be more, I want to have more of a compassion from God for people who don't know Jesus. And I want to move with his passion in the gospel. I want you to come and stand and I want to pray. And I want us to believe that God wants that too. Here we are, God. I can't speak for all these people, but I speak for myself. And God, sometimes I just feel like, God, I don't know how to keep up with anything. God, we certainly want to steward everything you've entrusted to us, but God, we want to avoid what Paul talks about, where we become entangled in the things of this world. God, I pray for every person here that has come and just said, I want to grow in this, God. I pray that what you did in, yeah, I know, Lord, there's already people that just had you move like in sovereign ways. But God, I remember as a little boy watching Don Albers, that big, tall Marine, weep for lost people. There is a part of your heart that I caught because I was around people who had a heart for souls. And God, I pray that we would have a heart for people to know you. God, beyond the passive heart where we're happy when we hear about it, but God, but there would be something in our life, there would be space in our lives where we have made room to be impacted by your heart for those who don't know you. So God, I don't know how big the measure of my faith is, God. But I want to be faithful with the measure that I have. And God, I just pray there would be an impartation this morning, God. God, that there would be a conviction in our hearts about the gospel being lived out. God, we don't want to follow you only in the confines of what works for us. So God, we pray. Can you just put your hand on someone and let's just like collectively just pray for each other right now? I just, 
I don't think that I have something that every, all of you guys, I think we need each other. Would you just like, just extend your hands and pray in faith. Pray, we are trying to be faithful that we have, but we are believing something we haven't seen yet. There's no reason why every, every student in Grove City is not living with the present reality of the kingdom of God. And we're praying for Anna last night. We're praying for her sinuses. And I was just thinking about the stuff we're talking about this morning. Like, I don't want to allow what I didn't see 10 years ago cause me to hold back in prayer for what is right in front of me right now. Does that make sense? So God, we just say, put your hand on us, God. We pray the prayer of Acts. We say, put your hand on us, God that with boldness we would preach and proclaim and declare your name. Move with signs and wonders that would authenticate the message of the gospel. Would you just, let's just take a minute to pray. Would you just pray? I don't, you don't need to pray really loud, but I just encourage you not to just think thoughts, but just, you can be quiet, but just speak and just begin to ask God, God, come and do what you want to do in my heart. God, come make my heart more, more sensitive to your heart for the people who don't know you. Just begin to pray that.